Thank you once again for being with us this morning. I got a lot to say today, so um, it depends. You know what? Maybe I won't finish, but uh, I'll try to get as much as I can in because this this is just a hard topic. Uh, <laughs> I know if you've read it for a, I don't know. Have you read this part of the Exodus? Who's who's read this part of the? Yeah, a lot of you, right? Um, I've read this too a whole bunch of times. We saw it in a movie. We do it every week, uh, every month. Sorry, with the Lord's Supper, but somehow, when you study it, it's there's more to it than just okay, just eat sky flakes or <laughs> you know eat unleavened bread. It's just it's just not that simple. So, um, I might take a few more Sundays when it comes to this topic. But uh, if you miss any uh, of the messages so far, feel free to watch them on Facebook. So we're going to pick up where we uh, left off last week. Um, uh, we studied chapter 12, uh, specifically, uh, you know, the 10th plague and the Passover. Um, well, last week, we talked about the progression of our story in chapter 12 and how the instructions for Passover uh, that was mentioned twice in the chapter. Uh, in between it, there's more instructions. Uh, so it's not just Passover, kill the lamb, or pick a lamb, kill it. Uh, in between the instructions for Passover, there's another set of instructions in verses 14 to 28. Uh, and that was the focus last week. Um, uh, I mentioned that uh, the, the feast that's mentioned there in those verses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a continuation of the Passover meal. And I, I would say part of the Passover the whole Passover celebration uh, that the uh, Lord God uh, initiated or instituted back then in the book of Exodus and is still being practiced uh, now uh, by the Jews. Um, so now whether the Passover instructions were to be carried out uh, dawn or dusk, remember we talked about this, uh, twilight, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to take place on the evening. That, was, that one was clear. Uh, on the evening of the Passover, and therefore, I would say that it shouldn't be considered as a separate thing, not a separate feast. Uh, both the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were declared by God as a memorial day to remember what happened in Egypt, remember what they had to go through uh, before they were free, to remember... Um, what God did during that night includes the death of firstborn, because that's exactly what happened. Today is a memorial day, right? What's today? 9-11. Well, what are we remembering? Is it all good? Is it a good memorial day? No. But it's a memorial day. We remember it. Uh, for Christians, we remember it the goodness of God, hopefully we see it, that even though, yes, uh, there are threats like that around us, um, we're thankful that we're still here. Nobody's coming to bomb our church. We're free to worship. But that's what the Passover Remembrance Day is all about. The unleavened bread, that's what it's all about. It's not just remembering, oh, we were freed. Uh, no, uh, remember that what happened on that day, on that night. Uh, if you can remember, part of the Passover meal was bitter herbs. What was that for? To remember the bitterness of slavery. So they don't want to go back there. To remember what happened, what God had to do 
in order, in to, order get to get them out. out. Uh, so, that's what, so that's what we talked about last week. Um, and both of these meals, so to speak, uh, were originally instructed to take place when? On the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish year. Uh, and they're to be celebrated by the people of God forever. Uh, the Jews celebrate it again. The Jews celebrate it still today. We celebrate it uh, as well. But from a different perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. So, uh, um, if the Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated along with the Passover, what is the significance of it when it comes to our salvation? This is where we ended up last week. Uh, if you can still remember, I said last week that the account of the Passover uh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread will ultimately give us a full picture of what it means to be saved. Uh, I also said that it will help us reconcile the tension between our understanding of faith versus works when it comes to our salvation and it would also help us reconcile the messages of the apostle paul what does the apostle paul say in ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith meanwhile james in james 2 24 says that we are not justified by faith alone but by works, works. how do those two reconcile because they have to they can't be arguing uh, then that, that makes the bible no not as one, uh, they have to reconcile, right? So, again, why is the Feast of Unleavened Bread so important? In order for us to gain a full understanding of salvation and therefore ultimately what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I had a good discussion with one of our Lolas. Where is she? Oh, she back there. About being one. Who believes in one saved, always saved? I do. But apparently, some people who says, oh, yeah, once saved, always saved, means a totally different thing. And hopefully, we're not like that. And again, it's this misunderstanding of faith and works. What saves us? What are we talking about when we're saved? We're saved by faith. James says we're justified by works. Let's clear that up. Um, and I believe that uh, the study of this Feast of Unleavened Bread will help us do that. So let's begin. You guys okay? Yeah. Well, that's only 11. That's just intro. Let's, <laughs> let's begin. <laughs> let's begin by defining what is unleavened bread. Okay. Simply put, unleavened bread is bread that is made without a leavening agent. Skyflakes. <laughs> It looks like, right, the matzah, uh, it looks like Skyflex, but it's not, it's not Skyflex. Skyflex has a lot of other stuff in it, a lot of chemicals. No. Uh, what is an unleavened bread? Something, a bread that is made with a leavening agent. Now, what is a leavening agent? It is an ingredient that is added to dough to make the dough ferment and rise. Usually, it's yeast. What is yeast in Tagalog? Uh oh, <laughs> I don't know what. I don't think we have a word for yeast in Tagalog. Eh? In Filipino, huh? Ampals. That's not. That's what yeast does. It's not what yeast is. <laughs> okay. 
So it's usually in, in the Bible, when we talk about leavening, it's usually yeast, um, right? Uh, and throughout Scripture, uh, leaven or yeast is used in different contexts, several different contexts. We saw one in the video, right? Uh, in some areas of the, vi of the Bible, uh, yeast, the word yeast is used uh, literally, uh, referring to the actual ingredient, the, the yeast, the actual yeast or the leavening agent. Meanwhile, there are other areas of Scripture where the word leaven or yeast is used in a symbolic way, just like what the video said. Uh, in the Bible, yeast is often associated with what? Sin. And if you think about that, that's the first, that was my first thought, because that was when they mentioned yeast. Oh, sin. But if you read the rest of the Bible, uh, sometimes yeast is not associated with sin. Actually, sometimes yeast is associated with the kingdom of God. So we can't just look at yeast and say, oh, sin, bad. Yeast is bad. It's not leaven our bread anymore. I'm not going to eat any more leavened bread because that's sin. Uh, no, that's not uh, what this whole feast is all about, right? Now, in the context of chapter 12, uh, leaven or being leavened uh, was used both in the literal context uh, and the historical context, uh, and also as a pointer to our uh, salvation. Now, uh, let's look at the literal and the historical context of this, the use of this word first. Uh, Exodus 11.1, 1. can you guys read that? Okay, let's read it. 11.1, the Lord said to Moses, yes, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will what? Drive you away completely. Exodus 12, verse 11. Says what? In this manner you shall eat it. How? Belt fastened, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. Passover, uh, chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. Egyptians were urgent, urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Uh, verse 39, last one. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So historically, literally, uh, story tells us that after the 10th plague was unleashed, the people of Egypt kicked out <laughs> the people of Israel. Had to get them out of there. They saw them as like a bad omen, malas, right? Malas to town. Imagine all your firstborn died, dead. Uh, so they had to kick them out. Uh, and so in preparation for this, the East, that we read the Israelites had to eat the Passover meal, wearing their clothes, shoes, feet, uh, ready to leave Egypt. And not only that, they were in such a rush, they didn't have time to wait for their dough to rise. That's what it says, right? Now, historically, uh, making bread was a lengthy process. Who's here, who here has made bread? Nobody? Yeah, yeah, I have. 
yeah, you bake bread. Uh, when, when, you, when you think about bread making, it, it takes, a, takes a long time. Well, not, maybe not anymore the way we have, because we have uh, yeast available to us in the grocery. You can buy, like, yeast in a bottle, right? Uh, but historically, it took a long time. According to one commentary uh, by Riken, uh, in those days, the Israelites did not have yeast readily available to them. They don't have like a jar of yeast just sitting there readily available to them. So in order to make regular bread, they would have to use a pinch of the old dough that ha already had yeast in it and use that to leaven a new batch of dough. So that leave some of the old dough with yeast, take a little bit of that, put it on the new batch of dough so that that yeast will ferment and infect the whole dough, so to speak. So that next batch of dough will be also leavened, right? You guys understand? Nowadays, we, you, we still do that when you make, uh, especially sourdough bread. You still do that, but we, we call it a starter. You guys know what a starter is? No, uh, not the starter in the NBA, not the first five players. Uh, starter is made by fermenting water and flour over a period of time. This is how you make yeast. Okay, you take flour, water, put a cloth over it, leave it at room temperature. Right? And after a few days, it'll start to ferment. It'll start to bubble up. Right? That's the yeast in the air eating the flour. Right? That's, what the, the how, that's how you make yeast. It takes a few days. Um, and it, that's why they say that yeast is cultivated from our environment. Now we have instant yeast. But if you were to do it old school, that's what you do. That's how you make yeast. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, yeast is not just an ingredient. It's actually a living organism. It's a bacteria, right? The ones that are in the bottles, they're sleeping yeast. <laughs> so you drop them in warm water. What do they do? They wake up, all right? And then when they start waking up, what are they living organisms? What do we need to do? We need to eat, right? What do you feed it? Sugar and flour. Uh, and then it'll start fermenting. Right? Uh, that's what a yeast is. Uh, the more you feed it, the more it grows, the more it multiplies. Some people even um, store yeast. Uh, some, some, some covet like really good yeast, like, uh, I don't know, one-year-old yeast. They just keep feeding the yeast. Every day. It's like a pet. Right? <laughs> like bakers, that's what they do, right? They keep, that's why the bread tastes so good because, oh, my grandfather cultivated that. Imagine, 50 year old yeast <laughs> still being used in today's bread. I don't think they, they go that far. Do they go that far? Do they, do they last 50 years? Maybe you keep feeding it, right? Because it's like a pet to some people, right? They really covet good. Yeast, and again, yeast uh, diet uh, consists of sugars and starches. Now, as it eats, just like us, it's got what? <laughs> it's got to have some kind of waste, right? The same as us, one or two, right? <laughs> same with yeast. What are the way, like the what are what does yeast produce? Uh, it produces CO2, carbon dioxide. And alcohol. Um, and then you use those to make bread rise or to make 
you know, some people, you know, favorite beverages here, beer, wine, all that. Who here drinks beer and wine? Ah, see? Nobody? Wow. <laughs> yeah, see, that, you, the reason why you didn't raise your hand is because you don't understand faith versus works. Not because you drink wine or beer, that means you're not saved. Uh, <laughs> so that's what yeast does. That's what it does. It, it eats in order to produce CO2 and alcohol and then that fruit or whatever that yeast yields uh, is used for making bread and wine. Um, again, it takes about seven days to create this. So now... You have a picture of what yeast is and how to make bread. Well, the Israelites didn't have that time. Right? They had to get out right away. So their dough remained unleavened uh, without yeast. Uh, that's why this feast of unleavened bread for a lot of Jews today, it serves as a reminder of their hasty departure, uh, which ultimately uh, reminded them of their freedom uh, from, the, from slavery to Egypt. That's literal. That's the literal... That's how we should understand yeast or leaven in that context. It is the literal and historical context of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's in a nutshell. Now, if you want to research it more, go ahead. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of more information that you can get when it comes to that feast. Now, um, what about uh, how do we understand the Feast of Unleavened Bread in its spiritual I said earlier, uh, the video pretty much focused on yeast as a pointer to sin. Um, but I, I would disagree with that. I mean, it's true, but it's not complete. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, yeast or leaven is a form of bacteria. It's a living organism. And this bacteria, no matter how small in size and amount, can ultimately spread and infect wherever you put it in. That's why when you take a little bit of yeast, put it in a big batch of dough, pretty soon that whole batch of dough will become leavened. So no matter how small yeast is, it's got that characteristic that will infect what it touches. Right? Um, and that's what makes the dough rise. Uh, now the main reason for using yeast uh, or leaven symbolically in Scripture is ultimately because of this characteristic. Not the actual yeast itself, but what yeast does. Uh, that's why biblical writers use it uh, as a symbolism, as a pointer to uh, uh, spiritual truths. Um, and again, I say that because yeast or leaven is used both as a reference to sin and as a reference to the kingdom of God in the Bible. Now, how do you reconcile that by looking at the characteristics of yeast, what it does, and then seeing it, um, the spiritual truths in the characteristics of yeast? Right? Some of you, are, I think, are formulating this already. So again, yeast is small, right? But when you put it in something, you, you surround it with something else, it infects it. It grows into it. Okay? So keep that in, in mind. Um, now, both in the Exodus, in Exodus and Leviticus, the Old Testament, yeast uh, is used to symbolize sin and corruption. 
That's why the instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread was not only to eat unleavened bread for seven days, but also to rid their houses of any leaven, right? Exodus 12, 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened, no yeast. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from this day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now getting rid of any leaven internally is part of that instruction, right? Don't eat it. Don't put it in you. Okay? Take all the leaven out. It's like going on a um, keto diet, right? Those of you who don't know, have you, anybody know keto, keto, going keto, keto diet to lose fat? What keto is doing is changing what's inside of you that your body is burning for fuel, right? That's why you've got to get rid of all your carbs. <laughs> no carbs for two weeks. Some of you tried it, couldn't do it. <laughs> it's hard, right? Because our body's so used to it. But to, to change diets is like very difficult. So same thing with here. All of a sudden, God is saying no yeast for or no leaven for seven days. Don't eat it. Change internally. There has to be some change internally that has to happen. And what else? There has to be no leaven around you, in your house. Again, what is that pointing to? Is yeast bad to smell? Is, is yeast like, uh, like, you know, like dust? Is it like dirty? What is it trying to point out? Why does God tell them to rid themselves of yeast? Uh, as far as a reference to sin is concerned, it's because that's the power of sin. It's got a corrupting power. It's small. Sometimes you don't even think that what you're doing is sin, but you keep doing it enough, it corrupts you from the inside out. That's what sin does. Uh, like yeast, sin also takes time to multiply and mature. Right? And the more we feed it, the more you feed into your sin, the more it will continually grow. Like gambling. Nothing wrong with gambling. Uh, those of some, of some of our members just came back from Las Vegas. <laughs> gambling capital of the world. Right? Well, wh where do they start gambling? Slots, right? It's the easiest thing to do. Drop in your five cents, your quarter, and you, ding, ding, ding. you win a quarter here, quarter there, lose $20. Keep going, keep playing. If you don't see anything wrong with that, then what's going to happen? Ah, keep playing. Ah, yeah. Then you win some big money. Oh, do you walk out of the casino? No. You play blackjack or you play something else because you want to keep winning money. It cultivates what? Greed. Right? I see some uh, senior citizens. It's mostly the senior citizens. There's not nothing. Second milers. Nothing much to do when you're a second man. <laughs> so you see them. They sit there with a little curly cord attached to their credit card, stuck in the machine. So you just keep going until the credit, they lose credit on their credit card. They just keep pressing the button. That's where it's going to lead to, seniors, <laughs> if you keep on 
playing. That's because you don't have this sensitivity towards sin. And it, it, some, it, again, it just looks so small. Sooner or later, it's going to take time. It's going to multiply and it's going to mature and it's going to take over your whole being. Right? Riken again said uh, that like yeast, sin is always trying to extend its corrupting influence through a person's entire James 1, 14 to 15. You guys read this. Fifteen. Right? That's so true, right? Um, we all have desires. Uh, and most of our desires are not good, unhealthy. Uh, you keep going that way. You don't recognize that those desires could lead to something else. It matures over time. Uh, then next thing you know, it's sin. And you keep going that way, it leads you to death. Uh, a lot of serial killers start off that way. Uh, yeah, A lot of um, thieves and murderers, they start off that way. So you got to be careful because it starts off small like yeast um, therefore when you look at that kind of um, you know uh, example uh, why the biblical authors use yeast as a picture of sin and hopefully you understand that sin is to be taken seriously in fact the Bible talks about mourning for sin um, now be careful as well not to go overboard when it comes to your sensitivity to sin I remember uh, Pastor Luis, when he was still here, he used to tell us, um, you shouldn't go to the movie theaters, you shouldn't watch any movies in the movie theaters. Because um, that's sin. No dancing. Sin. No drinking alcohol. Sin. Is it sin? Or what is, what's he, what, what, what is Pastor trying to warn us? Now, yeah, there's nothing wrong with going to movies, and there's nothing wrong with dancing, and there's nothing wrong with, well, there is something wrong drinking with alcohol, but there, there's nothing wrong with all those things. Inherently, they're not evil. Um, but if you let it penetrate you deeper and deeper and deeper by continuing to do these things, and somehow it's going to lead to something bad, uh, which is sin. At the same time, don't go on to, the, to Yorkdale Mall in front of the Cineplex and have a big sign that you're all sinners, you're going to hell. <laughs> no, that's going overboard. But you get the point, right? It starts off small and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, uh, I saw this article by a Jewish mother um, in respect to um, having every corner of their house free from uh, leaven on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, this is what she says. In our home, we get rid of anything leavened as well as any leavening agents. Um, in the process of cleaning it out of our homes, we realize very quickly how difficult it is to find and remove it all. There are crumbs in the corners of our pantries and even our refrigerators. It's easy to find in obvious loaves of bread in the pantry, but you have to really hunt for the Cheerios 
between the couch cushions. So uh, I'm just reading this and I'm imagining, man, if you, uh, if you took this leaven thing and sins like too extreme, that's what it looks like. You're going to see everything I see. Sleeping in church, sin. <laughs> Coming late to service, sin. Right? It's too much. You can't. Otherwise, you go crazy if you do that. Because I see, I see everything up here. I think it was Ati Jelly said earlier, oh, I looked around one service and I saw the number of people sleeping. There are a lot. <laughs> Isn't that obvious? <laughs> Because there, is, there, there are a lot. But if you, again, if you focus on these things too much, it's going to, like, you're going to go crazy. And that's not what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to be sensitive to sin, but not overly sensitive to other people's sin. Your sin. Clean your house. Right? Is that what the, the, the instructions say? It doesn't say clean your neighbor's house. Clean yours. But be sensitive to what's in your house. At the same time, uh, just like what the article says, you can't get rid of all of it. <laughs> There's always going to be something there. And sometimes, sometimes it's those things in the little corners that you can't really get out. Um, does that mean that, oh, there's still sin in me. I'm not saved. No. <laughs> that's not what it means. And again, if that's your understanding... You need to listen. The unleavened, the feast of unleavened bread did not save the Israelites. You say that right now. Right? What saved the Israelites? Passover meal. The unleavened bread was just God. Well, I'm going to explain to it. I'm going to get, that, uh, get to that later. But the unleavened bread is something that God Used not just to remind them of what happened in Passover, but to show them what he wants them to be. Right? But you, again, like for us, it's when it comes to sin, we know. We have 1 John 1 9. Right? We know that hopefully that we're not saved by our works. We know that. Right? That's why we believe in one saved, always saved, because it's not our works that determine whether or not God sees us as worthy to be saved. It's not that. He wants us to live in a certain way, but it's not determined, it doesn't determine whether or not he will save us. What determines whether or not he will save us is his own grace and mercy to give us the faith to believe in the Passover lamb. That should be clear, Right? So when we say once saved, always saved, we're talking about faith. We're not talking about works. But having said that, <laughs> Feast of Unleavened Bread still looms over us. Observe it, God said to his people. That means for us, watch how you live. Watch how you live. So, because what God was doing in instituting this feast of unleavened bread, he was, what he was doing when he did this and when he instituted this to the Israelites, uh, he was removing the leaven of Egypt 
that may have infected his people. How long did the Israelites live in Egypt? 400 plus years? Some of the Egyptian culture has been, they've been leavened by it. It's rubbed off on them, right? In fact, at, at that point in time, they probably don't believe that there's only one God. Because in Egypt, they had multiple gods, right? So that, that's what God was trying to do, to remove the leaven of Egypt that may have infected his people. The eating of unleavened bread and the getting rid of leaven in the households of the Israelites is to prevent any leaven of idolatry to continue to grow in the people of God. Because if you leave that, that there long enough, it's going to infect your whole being. So God wants to get, get rid of these things before you leave or, or after you leave Egypt. Get rid of all your leaven. John L. McKay comments uh, and says this, unleavened bread was a symbol of discontinuity. Leaven was a bit of dough kept unbaked from the previous day's baking and added to the next day's batch of dough so that it would start the fermentation process there also. Um, I was, it was used in much the same way as yeast would be now. When a batch of bread was being baked, a relatively small amount of leaven or yeast is added and it works its way through the dough and causes it to rise. Now the instruction to banish leaven from their houses and to take none of it with them from Egypt was a gesture that symboled leaving behind all Egyptian influences that might work their way through their lives and corrupt them. So in doing that, Instituting the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God did not only get his people out of Egypt, but he also wanted to get Egypt out of the, his people. You know what I'm saying? But was it able that, that did this feast, and even the observation of Passover, did that remove all the leaven from the people of Egypt? No. What did they do when Moses went up the mountain to go get the Ten Commandments? They got bored, and they said to Aaron, Can you make us a, a God? It's still there. What about us? Who hears, don't sin anymore. No more leaven in me. No, it's still there. Because we still have the, the flesh, right? But then there's good news in that. I'm not going to say it right now. That's going to ruin the ending. But <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? This, this, this removal of leaven, you can't take it uh, literally. Okay? It's not a literal, no more sinning. It says in the video too, right? Sin no more. You can't. You can't sin no more. You keep sinning. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But you still, we still keep on doing that. Uh, but God, through his sanctification process, is purifying us uh, Day by day, slowly, slowly clearing out the leaven in all of, in all of us. Um, but uh, again, our salvation should be a pointer to, to this, right? The, the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be celebrated when? On the first, or on the 14th day of the first month of the first year. That's what it says in 
Exodus, right? What does that signify? It signifies a new beginning. God said, don't follow your days anymore. Start a new calendar. Now, the first month, on the 14th day, you will do this. Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it marked a whole new beginning for uh, the history of the people of Israel. Now, for us, it serves as a pointer to the same thing, but a new spiritual beginning. Where can we find that? 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. You guys read that. Seven. Okay, stop there. Stop there. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As what? Really, you are unleavened. You guys get that? And again, going back to one save, always save. You're really unleavened because you already have the Passover lamb. Faith in Christ, that's what makes you unleavened, not the clearing out of the leaven. <laughs> a lot of people are still confused by this, uh, feeling that oh, man, I gotta clean. I, I, I can't. I can't, can't make a mistake. <laughs> if I make a mistake, God will punish me, take away my salvation. God doesn't do that. God is not an Indian giver give you faith. Oh, you screwed up? Take it back. That's not who God is. That Paul is making that clear. You're a new lump and you really are unleavened because Christ, Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Read verse 8. Verse 8. Okay, see, see what Paul did there? Okay, he made it the spiritual unleavening. He brought it out to the physical, right? Celebrate the festival. What festival is it? Feast of unleavened bread. How do you celebrate it? Leave malice. Leave evil. Meanwhile, hang on to what? Sincerity. From, from spiritual, from the Passover celebration to what we should look like as believers. It's the same thing that God's doing to his people, right? Um, unfortunately, we live in a world where sensitivity to sin uh, is slowly fading. We're not as sensitive as we used to be or as our Christians used to be. Is slowly fading to a point now where we can tolerate and even sometimes affirm sin that is happening in front of us. And we have misused God's grace as an excuse to turn the other cheek on sin and then have the audacity to call it loving. 
A lot of churches are like that. When it comes, especially when it comes to the, 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 the alphabet movement, right? You know what I'm talking about? The alphabet movement? <laughs> some people get it. Some people are, what? There's a movement against the, the LGBTQ, RSPUBWX. There's a lot of insensitivity to the actual sin. A lot of churches are displaying it. In the name of what? Love and grace. But what about, what about the sin? I, I, I've always said that the, the, the discussion when it comes to that has turned from right and wrong to being loving and not. It has. I don't talk about right and wrong anymore when it comes to these things. Are you loving? And if you're loving, accept. Accept it. Uh, some churches even um, affirm to the point where there's a, there's a book now of an evangelical Christian uh, telling that community uh, that you can, you can still live as a Christian and, and live this lifestyle. How is that? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get it. But there's a lot. You, people, especially celebrity pastors being interviewed uh, um, on, main, on media, when, they, when they're asked about this question, they always, you know, step around it. Uh, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to comment on it. I just want to love. I don't want to comment on it. I just want to um, show grace. And, mm, where do you really stand when it comes to that? How sensitive are we when it comes to sin? Um, and not just in that area, but any kind of sin. Are we sensitive to the sin that's happening around us? With us first, and then around us. Uh, because this kind of attitude has unfortunately made its way uh, into churches. Where a lot of churches justify the sinner... And try to hide the sin under the banner of grace, forgiveness, and love. And they don't call it out as it is. Um, number one example, uh, I don't know if you've been following, Hillsong. Okay, You guys know who, what Hillsong is? Big church in Australia. Okay, the, the scandal, the Hillsong scandal. Not the one that happened in New York. Okay, You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about? The Hillsong pastor in New York was... Uh, caught by his wife having an affair, and, and they fired him. Okay, that, not that one. The one on the main church. Okay, I was watching this documentary on, on them. Um, the, the head of Hillsong, founder of Hillsong, um, I think his name is Brian Houston. Brian Houston? Um, stepped down uh, recently from, uh, become, you know, the, being the, the leader of, the founder of Hillsong, stepped down, left his post at Hillsong. Why? Uh, because it was found out that his father, who used to be the pastor of the Hillsong Church, um, abused a few children. And they hid it from everybody else. They didn't say anything. <laughs> that's, that's plainly wrong. Uh, and the, this whole new Hillsong documentary that came out uh, a lot of women came up and said, no, I was abused by my youth leader. I was abused by my pastor. I was abused. But wh where was this? How come the Hillsong Church didn't say anything about it? 
in the name of, oh, we got to be forgiving. We got to be gracious. Another church in the States a few years back um, uh, hid um, the, the abuse of, um, I think, a Sunday school teacher to a child. They didn't inform anybody. They didn't inform the parents. They just told the guy, yo, that's wrong. Don't do it again. We forgive you. We show you grace. And continue to let that person teach Sunday school. Guess what happened next? He abused two more children. And the parents of those children are suing the church because if you knew, then why didn't you say something? It's like that scene in Jaws, right? You guys watch movies? You know that movie Jaws, the shark? The first one in the 1970s? The, the, the biologist was saying, yo, you got a great white shark in your beaches. Close the beach down. Otherwise, people will be killed. The mayor said, no, this is summer. We need the money. We cannot close the beach. Don't tell anybody about the shark. And if you watch Jaws, <laughs> you all got eaten. That's what's happening in churches right now. That's why I'm always, you know, Thankful for our elders and our deacons who are always calling me out. Hey, you shouldn't have said that or you shouldn't have done this. Because I need that because there's a lot of blind spots, corners in my life that they're still living. And I don't see it. Sometimes it takes other people to see it. And hopefully those other people will be sensitive to the sin as well for them to call you out. And ultimately, hopefully, you receive it with humility and repentance. Amen? Because God did not only save us to free us from the penalty of sin, but he also did it so that we may live free from the power of sin in our lives. Now let me clarify that. Uh, let me clarify that by saying that I'm not saying that we are called to live sinless lives. And I've, I think I've repeated myself over and over again when it comes to this. We are not called to live perfect lives with no sin, that's impossible. Uh, sin is like yeast and wild yeast. is found everywhere around us. There is not one of us who can totally get rid of sin. But as we continue to understand, as we continue to grow in our faith, and what it means to live as a follower of Christ, our sensitivity to sin will continue to increase. Use this illustration on, uh, during a prayer meeting. Uh, I said that it's like, if you're a black shirt, okay, and you're in a dimly lit area, that black shirt will look perfect, clean, right? The more you come to an area where there's light, the more you'll see, oh, there's a lint on my shirt. Right? Those of you wearing black shirts, there's probably a lot of lint on your shirt. You just can't see it. You'll shine a good light on it, you'll see it. The more you get closer to the light, the more you see, oh, man, this shirt is filthy, that's how we should be as Christians when it comes to sin. The more we get closer to God, the more sin becomes visible. And the more we see sin, the effect of faith in us is that we mourn for that sin. We mourn for it in confession and repentance. Um, so in, in a sense, that's what it means to, for unleavened or leaven be referred to or used as a reference to, to sin. 
Um, now I mentioned earlier that in the spiritual context, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is also used as a reference to the kingdom of God on earth. And it's for the exact same reason. What's the reason? Because leaven, no matter how small it is, what? Will ultimately, given time, spread and multiply. Check out Matthew 13, 31 to 33. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 33, he told them another parable. This one says that the kingdom of heaven is like what? Leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was leaven. Is he talking about that the kingdom of heaven is like sin? No. Okay. Bible, Bible reading rule number one, read it in context. So that means it says leaven, that means it's sin. So what does it mean? Well, in context, Jesus is talking about the small mustard seed and leaven. Uh, what is Jesus trying to point out? He's trying to point out that both the mustard seed and the leaven may be small in size and in quantity, but over time it will become big and it will influence or infect whatever it makes contact with. So in a positive spiritual sense, the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us that after freedom from slavery, the way we go about living our lives will have a great impact on our society as a whole. That's the only way they'll be able to see your faith. There's no other way. People love good works. There's no other way to see your faith but through good works. Right? So the leaven or the mustard seed is the same as faith. At the beginning of our salvation, when God awakens faith in our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit, it's like God planting a mustard seed in your heart. Or God adding a little leaven in us as individuals. And as we keep on watering the seed, feeding the leaven with God's word, through the reading of his word and through the hearing of the gospel, what happens? The seed grows or the leaven of faith multiplies. And the more it multiplies, the more it will mature. When it's mature, what does leaven do? It produces what? Useful ingredients, right? Like CO2 and alcohol. And you use it so that you can actually eat something physical or drink something physical. Same thing with us. The more it matures and affects all aspects of our lives, the way we see that is the way we live. And not just the way we live, the way we love, the way we serve God and others. And this effect is not only important, it's not only an important aspect of saving faith, but I would say is a necessary part of our salvation to show us that the faith that we have is a living one. Imagine putting leaven on a batch of dough and you bake it it's still flat then what is that leaven that you put in there 
It's probably dead. Right? She didn't do what it was supposed to do. Same with us. That's why James is telling us, not only justified, made right by your faith, you're also made right by the way you act, your actions, works. It's not justification as in the source of salvation. You're being made right by it because you see faith actually working. You know that you have a live leaven in you. There's one thing I can't stress enough. I have seven more minutes. I can't stress this enough. This process is not an overnight thing. Again, leaven, characteristic of leaven is that it takes time to multiply. Right? It takes time to fully ferment in order to be useful in making bread. Faith is the same thing. The works that come about through faith come when faith is cultured and cultivated in our day-to-day lives. That's why Romans calls us to live by faith. Now, earlier when I said, um, I said that in reference to sin, wild leaven can be found all around us in the temptation and corruption we see in the world. Right? So when, if, if the sin of leaven is still in us and all you focus on are these Wild leaven all over the place. What are we doing? We're feeding into that leaven that we still have in us, right? Now, how does that work with faith? Okay. If leaven grows as it gets in contact with all the leaven in the air and wherever else, how does faith grow when it comes to the kingdom of God? Leaven feeds on, what did I say earlier? Sugars and starches. As far as spiritually, sinful leaven feeds on sin around us. And there's lots. That's why it's easy to grow. What about faith? If faith is like leaven, what makes faith grow? What does faith eat? (laughs) Word of God. What else? Prayers. What else? Hearing, preaching the gospel. What else? And I was talking to a friend of mine earlier. What else? What else do you see around you that will help feed that faith? Fellowship? Worship? Songs? Sing Hillsong. Yes, good. It's okay. (laughs) You're not going to lose your salvation when you sing Hillsong. What else? This is the most important one. What do you see around you? As a Christian, what should you see around you that will feed into your faith or that keeps feeding your faith? The goodness of God. I was telling this to Mano Jose earlier. Mano Jose asked me, what kind of life do you want to live? Or is that the question? I said, he said, I just want to live a sinful life. Sinful. I just want to live a sinful life. Uh, no, uh, he said that I just want to live a simple life. But there's always something that makes our lives complicated, right? I was telling, I was telling him, like, I, I, here, when I'm here and I'm not on vacation, there's problems. 
Then when you go on vacation, you think, okay, I'll get away from my problems. No, you got a different set of problems. Can't book a restaurant. It was foggy. Uh, you know, you get sick. It's a different set of problems. But you're on vacation. You're not supposed to have any problems because that's what you're trying to run away from. Right? So how the, how the age are we supposed to live a simple life? I told my I said, well, for me, it's being able to see the goodness of God everywhere. Problems, no problems, vacation, no vacation. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says, I, I, I want to live content. Right? So when, when you, you look at that, right, that's what feeds into your faith. That's what makes your faith stronger. You see around you, sometimes you focus on the negative. It's all, always on the negative. That's why faith keeps getting right, killed. It's not growing. The other part is growing, right? the, 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 the sinful leaven. Because we don't intentionally look for the goodness of God. 9-11. Right? It's hard to see the goodness of God there. But is there goodness in there that we can see? Yes. Right? First of all, we don't live in the States. <laughs> We're here. God is... Good. We have health care. We have all these things, right? God is good. Same thing with the Exodus. How do you see the goodness of God in the Passover and in Feast of Unleavened Bread? Is if what happened during that night was a bunch of people died. It's hard. But what feeds your faith? It's looking at the dead kids and saying, What kind of God do we serve? Or looking at God's word and saying, I will get you out of there no matter what by the power of my hand. Of my hand. What do you look at? How do you feed faith? You feed faith by looking at the goodness of God. Looking at the goodness of God. That's what faith feeds on. And then when you see that, faith grows. And as faith grows, what happens? The result of this growth in faith is what? What's, what's the byproduct of it? Works. Right? Or Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, faith working through love. Because you can work all you want by faith. If you don't love the people that you're working or you're serving, then <laughs> that's not it. That's not true faith. Now, ultimately, we still have blind spots when it comes to the sin around us and inside of us. But the good news is that there's no stopping the growth of this mustard seed of faith or this leaven of faith that God has given us by his grace. It will keep on growing because it's in its nature to do that. You get what I'm saying? Your faith that God gave you, its nature is to keep growing. That's why you can't tell me, I believe, and you don't grow. And it doesn't have a byproduct of works. That's impossible. It has to keep on growing because it cannot help it. 
And then what happens when it's fully grown, this faith will make an impact on those around us. One person at a time, one good deed at a time. Amen? One more thing. I'm past an hour. Should I keep going? Yes. This is last. One more thing. Okay. The impact that our faith um, will sooner or later have around us, the people that we come across, is not just through the work that we do or not just through the good works that we do. Our faith can still make an impact even when we stumble and fall. You guys believe that? That our faith can ultimately, it will still make an impact. Why? Because that's what it does. Right? That's its characteristic. That's how faith is. It will still make an impact even if we stumble and fall. How? If our response to our falling and our sin is a humble submission and confession to God and a reliance on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins. That's how. You'll still impact people with that. Example. And I'll close with this. One of my favorite pastors that I listened to growing, uh, not growing up, but as, as I started to learn more about the Bible, is Pastor Matt Chandler. Okay, he's a pastor in Texas in the village church. His name's Matt Chandler. Now, recently, he had to step down from being a pastor uh, of the village church. He, they say it's an indefinite leave of absence, but, you know, he's not going to be preaching for a while. And I listen to him a lot. Now, what was the reason? Somebody approached him uh, at his church, a woman approached him at his church, saying that that woman's friend that Matt Chandler was messaging on Instagram was that messaging was inappropriate, that they shouldn't be doing that. Now, the way that the church explained it, that Matt Chandler explained it, and you can watch the video on YouTube, Matt Chandler said that their messaging, they're friends, right? Matt Chandler and the, and the lady, they're both married. Both of their spouses knew that they were messaging each other. And they didn't see anything wrong with that. But when that lady approached him at the church and said, no, there's something wrong with that. You shouldn't be doing that. Matt Chandler immediately talked to his wife, talked to his friend, her husband, talked to the elders of the church. And they told him, well, you know what? There is some leaven in the corners of your brain or your heart that you can't see, maybe you should step down and work on those first before you can preach again. Right? Now, what I want us to show you here, first of all, sensitivity to sin. A lot of elders nowadays, especially if you have a pastor who's a celebrity, they will hide that. They'll hide that. Look what happened to James McDonald. He's been abusing his uh, church mates, his uh, co-workers at church for a long time. What did the elders do? Nothing. Hid. They just keep it there. It's okay. Because it's going to ruin the ministry. In the guise of saving the whole ministry of James McDonald, they hid all these things. Hillsong, same thing. Okay. Pastor of Brian Houston, his father abused children. They hid it. But Matt Chandler's elders, they were so sensitive to sin that they knew that this little thing could lead to something bigger Instead of just letting him go and just say, you know what, nothing wrong. You were just chatting. You're friends. It's all good. No. They told my Chandler, no. You know what? It could lead to adultery. 
which you don't, if it leads to that, that's it. There's no turning back. You've sinned. That means you've got to get off the, the pulpit. But no, they saw it as a small thing but could lead to something else, and they were so sensitive to it that they said, stop first. Get your life, you know, fixed and ready. Look for those leavens that you need to get rid of. Now, Matt Chandler, who fell, he's the one that committed it. Even though he can argue is, there's nothing really wrong with it. He went up in front of his church and apologized and said, I'm going to do this because my elders said so and because I see the need in my own life for this. That's what I'm talking about when our response to, to our sinfulness, our falling, our falling short, is that of repentance and faith. How does that affect others? Well, it affected me a lot because I'm a pastor, right? And I look at my life and I say, man, there's a lot of things that I need to clean out. Right? Started with my diet and started. Now it's uh, kind of moving it towards, you know, are there words that I shouldn't be saying or am, am, you know, should I be talking to the opposite sex this way? Should I be joking around? Because uh, Matt Chandler said that it was the joking around that kind of got him in trouble. Because they took his cell phone and they looked through the, the chat messages and they said, yeah, this, this is, like, you shouldn't be saying that as a pastor. And sometimes I catch myself with these jokes. Some, some of you caught me with these jokes, right? Should I be saying that as a pastor? Aren't we called to a higher office? Aren't we? As pastors, and, and I would argue as Christians, that we shouldn't be, we should be that sensitive to our sin without being judgmental, okay? Right? So even in his fallenness, he blessed somebody. I was blessed by the elders as well. I'm like, man, I pray that my elders will be the same. Don't be afraid to approach me or to put our friendship in jeopardy because you're going to call me out. Do it. Because you're doing me a favor. I don't see all my leaven. Now do it constructively. I feel like I just gave you guys free passages. <laughs> oh, yeah? I don't like the shirt that you're wearing. Do it constructively. I'll, I'll accept. I'll take it. But please do it in love. Amen? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a reminder and a pointer to these spiritual truths. God's salvation through the blood of the sacrificial lamb has to be followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Or in our case, when it comes to our salvation, we are saved by grace through faith, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this salvation is celebrated and displayed by the way we live. Ultimately, our work done in faith does not benefit God. It pleases God. It doesn't benefit Him. Actual benefit is for us. First John says, you know you're saved if you do this. If you're doing this. It has to show. It has to produce something in us. And that fruit is not just for us. It is for the people that 
God puts in our path to touch and to save. To save them, but to point them to the Savior. That even our faults, even our imperfections, if we have that kind of faith to show humility in front of people when it comes to our own sins, that kind of leaven will infect a lot of people. Amen? The Apostle Paul says it best. 1 Corinthians 15, 9-11. I'm just going to read it for you. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. What happened when he was saved? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, any of them, though it was not I, Grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, or so we preach, and so you believe. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was put in between instructions for Passover. Why? Because of that. Saved by grace through faith, and then live in a way that your sensitivity to sin is always growing by the grace of God and through the word of God. And at the end, can't clear all the leaven. What do we do? Passover lamb is there again by his grace to help us and to continue to save us until we are fully saved till the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and Gracious, gracious, gracious.